Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we delve into the mystical realms of the spiritual community, exploring the wonders of healing, intuition, past life regression, and mediumship with a celebrated psychic medium. She's going to take us on a journey that goes beyond the ordinary and unlocks the secrets to healing through the survival of consciousness and the wonders of metaphysical. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Annie Larson. She's a celebrated psychic medium who provides evidence of the survival of consciousness to clients. She's a spiritual community leader, a metaphysical guide, a spiritualist, a Reiki master teacher, published astrologer, past life regression therapist, and advanced yoga teacher. She's been featured on television, radio, podcasts, magazines, and newspapers, including the Washington Post. I'm excited and honored to have her on the show. So welcome to the show, Annie. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm I'm I am just as or more. I, I can't wait after after kind of learning more about you and what you do and and uh, how you how you teach people to open doors and and allow positivity into their life from so many different aspects. This is going to be a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I love to start at the beginning. So I, I get that old show. This is your life. <laughs> I do. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I like to. I like to kind of do that just a little bit, but I always start like, where'd you grow up? So I grew up a couple of different places. When I was younger, my dad was in the Air Force, so I got the tail end because I'm the youngest of seven. So I got the tail end, and living overseas in England and France, New Mexico, and then I grew up in the suburbs of Northern Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. That's it, interesting to be able to grow up in Europe. I, I guess, you know, being a, a child of a, a military individual it does have some benefits. Yeah, yeah. We lived in England and France. My dad was actually um, tasked with closing down most of the military bases there after mm. World War II. And then he was doing some secret missions for Vietnam, which we really didn't know about. So he was testing planes over in France, prepping for, I guess, the war. It was a conflict then, the war in Vietnam. Oh, be darn! That's a, that's a, that's kind of amazing, actually, especially his contribution to that. Um, I was, yeah, he was a flying tiger. So his, yeah, he was. Oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Do you get to talk to him? You know, it's interesting that he comes up so quickly. Um, when I came back into this work, uh, probably about 13 years ago, um, my dad was kind of my spirit guide for a long time. And the, the contribution that he made over and over in readings was the military information. So my dad would come in and he would show me the color of the uniform and then he would show me the medals. And so dad kind of gave me all the information, whether they served in the wars and which wars they served in. But interestingly enough, in the past two years or so, it's kind of like my dad needs to move on. And he kind of said it was his time to move on. And I'm okay with that. So I miss him in that aspect. And so it's interesting that he comes up so quickly. Well, I think it, well, the contribution to humanity from his from that perspective is an amazing 
thing when they when yeah. you get to work with somebody like what he was doing because that that is a contribution not only to us in america but it's a contribution to the world which is you know thank you to your father for doing that um since it brings up a question if you don't mind i know we, we were talking on your where you grew up and so forth but it, if i can interject this question really quick so when you talk about him moving on, do do all souls move on? Because I've heard different versions that we live in per perpetuity in, in that soul and or time is different on the other side. So is it is it is there a stepping process? All I can tell you is from my point of view, of course, um, when I'm doing readings, I notice where people come from. And when people go to a place that I call the far off place, I know that they've been gone for 20 years and they don't seem to have as much of a remembering of this lifetime. Souls that leave or, or humans that have recently passed, I typically know that they're, they pass sooner within one to three years. And then there's kind of a five to seven years. So it's interesting that there's these different places for me of where they come from and how they come in. It's hard to explain, but it's kind of how I know how long that they've been gone. And then they'll share different information. I notice the further out that they go, the less they remember about this earthly plane and the more they have messages about like healing humankind than about more individual type stuff. So all I can share is from my own place, I believe that we go back to source. So when I see them on the other side with my third eye, with my mind's eye, I see them as a beam of light that comes in and I have a sense of whether they were male or female when they were incarnated. And um, I feel them in pure white light so the background is kind of this grayish cloud mist background with them as a beam of light and as they move closer to me i actually and i i say this when i'm in sessions with people i'm like i'll get really hot <laughs> so it's like i have to meet their energy energy and their energy is so strong sometimes that i really have to work at staying cooled off. So a lot of times clients will see me taking off like sweaters and stuff as spirit comes in. That's an interesting approach. Um, it, as let me regress back to the previous conversation. Um, if, if you don't mind, it, yeah. because you've come into this, this portion of your life, and you developed it at an early age, I'm assuming? Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you, what, what, what did you recognize that you might have been a psychic medium? Did you see spirit? Did you see or hear something or hear spirit come through? Um, you know, did you talk to people? How, how did you first recognize it? And at what age, if you don't mind? I was very, very young. I think, you know, in, in looking back over my life, because part of it, I'm, I'm trying to write a memoir. So I'm trying to look back on my life and, and re-experience certain parts of it. 
Um, I know when we lived in England, there were things that I felt on the stairs and I was really young. So we're talking like three <clears throat> years old, but having a sense of some things on the stairs, another being, because when people are around me, I sense them kind of as beings rather than like humans. So when somebody walks into a room, I'll typically know like who walked into the room. But anyway, back to the story about when I was young. So when we were in England, I had some of these senses, even when I was young and getting out of bed from a nap, I remember the sense of having beings in the room that I knew weren't mom and dad and my siblings and stuff. But I think the, the core remembering that I have was when I was five years old and I was with my sister. She had come back from a seance because she's a lot older than me. And it's no surprise that my family has an interest in spirits and the metaphysical. And she had come back from a seance where she was told she was going to be visited and would I come sleep in her room? I was five years old and I'm like, sure, you know, let me go and stay with my sister. So I got into bed with her and I smelled something horrendous. It smelled like the sweetest, most sickening perfume I've ever smelled. And I don't like smells. I don't like scents. I have a real hard time with um, that. And my sister, I said, Oh, you know, wow, I smell something terrible. Your perfume's awful. And she said, I'm not wearing any. And then we both had this sense of somebody in the corner. Somebody was in the corner of a room, the room was dark. And I had this sense of this older woman in the room. And it's almost like she was veiled and I almost see her like veiled in like burlap or veiled. And she starts getting out from the corner and coming closer. And as she got closer, I just kind of dove down into my sister, like protect me. <laughs> but for me, it was really exciting because I'm like, okay, I think I actually sense spirits. It was the first time at age five that I was starting to make sense of there's humans and then there's spirits. And I think because my sister was with me, she was the witness to this. So it wasn't just, oh, I sense people in the room. It's she's in the room and she knows something's there. She smells it too. She senses it too. So that was kind of my first foray into, wow, I'm different and or not i'm different maybe we're both different but definitely something is here and i can see it and sense it see it in my mind's eye type stuff that's gonna be a, a unique amazing up uh, you know situation especially at that age to kind of understand that you know wow most people would call it obviously you pulled into your sister but you know, <laughs> it's a different concept to the monsters under the bed i guess <laughs> yes yes well what what did you, I mean, obviously you had that experience there. Did you, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you go to university? Had you had intentions to do something else prior to going on the path that you've gone to now? Well, it's interesting because, you know, all the things I wanted to be as a kid, of course, changed as I got older. I mean, for me, I rode horses and I wanted to be a professional jockey. And then I grew and 
discovered boys and those dreams went out the window of becoming a professional jockey. But anyway, you know, those darn, are the dreams. Darn boys. I know. But what's interesting is for me, I fell into IT. So I fell into computers. Again, you know, the influence of one of my siblings, my brother and I kind of played around with the internet and we're talking back in the day when the internet was really just used for military and universities but my brother jeff would put in a cassette tape and launch the internet on a commodore computer and we would well, we're talking in the early 80s i remember and so yeah, for me, I just kind of fell into IT. And this was before the um, the first PCs rolled off the assembly line, the, the IBM PCs. But I had started, interestingly enough, in high school, I did a work study program where I worked at the Pentagon in this sub, sub, sub basement of the wow. Pentagon. Very few people have ever been in. And I was working on their mainframes. And that's where it sparked an interest. So my senior year, I'm on these 3270 IBM, you know, keyboards inputting stuff wow. and it fascinated me. So from there, I really just fell into IT. And so um, that's where my professional life went. But in the meantime, I still was doing all this psychic mediumship, mediumship stuff. In fact, um, I had a client who is a childhood friend of mine. She did a reading with me and um, she said, Annie, I knew you were different when the first time I came over to your house, she was like 11 or 12 years old. And when she came over, I said, well, come on back. We're going to do a seance. And she said it was so normal to you, but so foreign to her. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun, 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 fun. Yeah, that's that the age of computers. I, I got it early on as well. I didn't go into IT, but I was fascinated with computers from from the get go. Um, I had friends of mine that had Commodore, and they were, used to play games on them all the time, and uh, yeah. especially games. I mean, this guy had like like crates of of things. He you know he'd be playing a game, and he'd pop one like floppy disk in, and then he'd reach out and have to pull the other floppy disk out, and switch them out, and press the button, and keep going. It's crazy how far it's come, you know, this you know, It's interesting because I wasn't interested in the gaming side of it at all. I love the communication side of it. And uh, my first foray into uh, professional computers was selling them. So I love selling them. And then I've worked on them. I've done everything yeah. in the PC and mini computer world. In fact, I ended up back at the Pentagon uh working with the uh, secretary of the army installing one of their local area networks and wide area networks which was a precursor to the internet yeah very cool i mean that's crazy cool especially working for the pentagon doing that that's that's pretty slick um yes i'm a little nerdy in that regard <laughs> I get, I'm I'm a little <laughs> uh yeah it's I loved uh, working for the police department, especially early on. You know, we we obviously had communication and skills, but at the same time, I remember the only real computers we had when I first started were the ones that went to NCIS, which is the National Crime Information Center, yeah. and then CCIS, which is which was the Colorado version of that. 
And, you know, if you did something like um, you picked up fingerprints from somebody, you took fingerprints from a crime scene, we literally had to send it around to the FBI that they would disseminate it. It wasn't as broad as now you can take a picture of it, of, of what you have. And then it goes out across the world, basically, to say, hey, anybody else have this fingerprint? Almost instantaneously. It's amazing, the progress. Yeah. It, it almost, almost, basically, you know, I want to go back on a job because look at all this stuff they've got now, especially from, from compu- I mean, writing reports would have been so much easier. You know, I, we eventually, before I left, ended up with computers in the briefing room where we could type our reports and things like that. But we used to have to record them and then you turn the recording, you, you can't see my hand moving. We, we, I can. we turn them to, uh, turn them into the, to people and then they would be transcribed. And yeah. there, we had these people, the transcribers that literally would transcribe your report and you'd have them the next day. Then you come back in, you get your transcribed report, you turn it in. And then it moved into us having to, we, we get to write reports on the computer. And it was like, wow, we can make our corrections then and there. We can do this, we can do that. That was pretty slick. Anyway, we got a little, just a little sidetracked. But, well, it is it, it is funny because the mainframes, like you would input on like punch cards and then uh, submit it, it'd be batch processed and come back to you. So when the PC rolled off the assembly line, I'm like, I can do everything here in real time. So it was like I saw the paradigm shift of where computers would be going and how they would become a tool. You know, Mm -hmm. like Dave said that there'd be a computer on every desk and every human would be using them. And he was absolutely right. And he said that in the 80s. In the 80s. Wow. And now we carry them around in our hand. Well, Stephen Jobs, too, was such a visionary with all of that. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I grew up in that whole age where Mitch Kapoor and Stephen Jobs and, and uh, Bill Gates and all these people were like the people I wanted to meet. I can imagine, especially coming from that industry, from yeah. that perspective. I grew up with Star Trek, so my thing was, I want what they want. <laughs> they, they had what they, the precursor to the iPad, I guess. When you they do. They had, they had the communication device. Yeah, I grew up with, with uh, um, Star Trek. Are you a Trekkie or a Trekker? I'm a Trekkie, but I mean, I followed them from the original series to mm-hmm. the next generation. To I actually stood on the deck of a. Uh, that's a whole different thing. We'll talk about it after the show. But I stood on the deck of um, one of these starships at the studios when I visited a friend of mine there. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty amazing, actually. Then, of course, I like Star Wars too, and that whole realm. But yeah, Star Trek through and through, actually. Yeah, it, it, Star Trek had a great message, if you ask me. Especially in the early '60s, they had a great message. Yes. And and again, you, you a lot of what we're using now, we have talking computers. You know, one of my favorite lines is in in one of the Star Trek movies was. Um, Scotty, when they got sent back to pick up the whales, and he goes in and he looks at the computer and he goes, okay, computer, and the computer doesn't do anything. Computer. (laughs) He goes, I got to do this old school, and he cracks his knuckles. and (laughs) Kind of crazy, kind of crazy. What inspired you? I mean, obviously you had these these, um, experiences when you were very young. Do you see... 
Um, may I ask, because I, I've talked to several mediums on the show that actually they'll be in the grocery store and they'll see spirit. They'll be, you know, at the gas station, see spirit. They'll be in their house and see spirit. Do you see spirits in that form as well, or do you, or do you see them only the way you just described earlier? Um, and how do they communicate with you? So I see spirit many different ways, and it just depends, quite honestly, on their energy. So if they have enough energy to manifest themselves, I can see them with my eyesight. Most of the time I see them in my mind's eye. There are times I see glimpses of them, and you're right, you see them everywhere. Mediums can't shut the door especially natural mediums, which people that are born into this. I just think it's impossible. We can ignore but I don't think that we can shut it down. So it just depends on really the strength of the spirit that's coming through or showing themselves. There are some who get really powerful and can start doing like anomalies where they can play with lights and they can play with your cell phone and make telephone calls and things like that. And you hear about this a lot. Um, with my own self, you know, I've always had issues with computers. I know we had some issues earlier before starting this, but also lights and stuff. A lot of times um, I'll have light bulbs flickering and stuff because spirit's trying to get my attention. So, and I don't think that that's, you know, just me that this happens to. I think that our loved ones after they leave are always trying to get our attention. And in fact, I always encourage people too to look at their dreams because I think it's such a great way for spirit to come through and have a visit without scaring them. That's, I think, I think, yes, I think that uh, I agree with you. I think that uh, our loved ones do visit us in our dreams, and it yeah. gives us an opportunity at least to keep that connection. I think we're all connected, and I think Absolutely. we continue to be connected. Um, so. No question, it, especially if you start looking at soul groups. Absolutely, you yeah. know, soul groups incarnate together and they stay together. So absolutely, I think we stay together and have those bonds well after we leave this earthly plane. And I think it's part of the consciousness that you talk about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to get a better awareness of the fact that we are all connected and that we're all part of source and, and that uh, you know, reaching a certain level of consciousness can help us in many aspects of our lives to continue to heal in many different forms, whether it be physically or emotionally. And or mentally, you know, from those Absolutely. perspectives. Uh, you were speaking of lights. I don't know if you have noticed, but I have noticed while we are watching, I keep seeing flashes of light above you and around you. I know. I saw it earlier and I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. But yeah, we had, in fact, when we were trying to fix the camera and some of the things, the delay that was going on, I saw big flashes of light and I just laugh. I didn't want to mention it to you. But yeah, I saw it and I was like, okay, okay, they're just letting me know they're, <laughs> they're here. Know they're there. Yeah. So if, if anybody's watching, and, and when you go back and watch us, watch it again, because they've been going on since we've had this conversation started uh, on the recording side of it for sure. Yeah, um, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, Are they showing up like orbs or just flashes? Actually, they. I've seen trails. And there's another one right there that just went over your head. Um, like I'm pointing to you. <laughs> yeah, there's another one. So it's a, it's not just an orb. It's actually a, a like a, 
I'm sorry? Trailers. Trailers, that's a good word for it, yeah. Yeah, pretty that cool. It doesn't surprise me at all. They're going, hey, 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 get off the phone, damn it. <laughs> they want to be on camera. Or maybe they want to be on camera, yeah. I'm ready for my close-up, Annie. <laughs> I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. So at what point in your life did you uh, kind of really realize that uh, you wanted to become a full-time psychic medium? Well, I was one. In fact, I, I came up through my childhood, my teenagers. Um, I was doing readings and investigations. Um, I started reading playing cards. And then when I could afford a tarot deck, I bought one because they used to uh, have before 1972, when U.S. Games patent, you know, a, a deck of tarot cards was like 80 bucks. So it was expensive, especially me as a teenager trying to buy them. So um, I did home investigations. Um, we did ghost hunting. We did all kinds of stuff. And I did all this stuff into my 20s until I started having some not so pleasant experiences. And kind of, I couldn't shut the door, but I definitely shut down doing readings and investigations and stuff like that and stayed quiet until about 13, 14 years ago. It actually started, I think, like 2004, 2005, because I had uh, a near-death out-of-body experience. And that's when, in looking back at it, that's when I think I really started coming back into this work, kicking and screaming because of some of the stuff that happened in my 20s. I didn't want to reinvite those energies into my life. So I resisted a lot. And then it got to a point where I was overwhelmed by spirit. And things just kept coming in. Um, in fact, uh, one of the main ones that came through was a, a friend of mine's son um, got into an accident and was between the living and the dead. And he was in the hospital. And he came in my dreams because he wanted me to deliver a message to his dad. And so that was probably the catalyst that got me back into doing this work because I did finally end up delivering that message. He did come back. And it's funny because the image that he had shown me that he would come back was him walking across this big field and a couple of years later, I actually was at a university, a local university where he went and my daughter went. And I was dropping something off for my daughter. And as I was driving over this field, I saw him walking across the campus. And that's what he had shown me. So I knew he was coming back, but he felt like he needed, I don't want to share what, what the dad um what was shared because that's personal and private but going and talking to the dad and then the dad talking to him i think that was his way of coming back and as i said he was between the living and the dead so it's consciousness that was out there but that's what got me back in and then it became like a freight train of things happening and i finally literally got on my knees and surrendered and just asked spirit to bring me those I could help. And the second part of that was to leave all the 
stuff, the negative stuff that I had as a child behind. And so for me, it really was watching people's faces as I delivered messages from their loved ones, how their faces changed and how they like were so much calmer and that they got closure. And so for me, it was healing. So that's why I do the work that I do. So he had shown me this image um, and it was a, a green field and that's how I knew that he was going to come back. But I felt like he needed this message from his dad. And so I went and I delivered that message. Um, and interestingly enough, a few years later, uh, he happened to go to the same university as my daughter. And I had dropped something off at my daughter's dorm. And as I was driving away, I saw him walking across the green field. And that was the image that he had given me years before where I knew he was going to be okay. And I literally stopped my car and just watched him walk. I didn't yell out to him. I didn't say anything, but I watched him walk and just cried. So from there, for me, that was the big opening to you know, delivering these types of messages because he wasn't alive and he wasn't dead. He was in that in-between stage of consciousness. But being able to deliver a message was healing. It was healing for the family, and I think it was healing for him. So after that, a lot more things started happening with other people, and I realized I wasn't going to be able to shut that door. So I literally was on my knees surrendering. And we talk about the surrender when I teach mediumship is that you really have to surrender to spirit in order to be able to communicate for them. Uh, and that it, it, does that how you connect, let's say, if I was going to talk to somebody that a loved one that had passed on, is that how you help me connect to my loved one that passed on? I can help you connect with your loved one if, if that's what you want to do. But if you want me to connect for your love to your loved one and then deliver messages and information, um, I can do that. So for me, it's putting my ego aside. And, you know, I teach mediumship, many different levels of mediumship. And I teach people how to really let go of our own ego because you know, here's the question, how do you know when spirits sharing, you know, pink elephants with white polka dots, and you're in your head going, really pink elephants with white polka dots? When you put your ego aside, you just share it as you get it. And they go, Oh, yeah, that was my favorite toy when I was a kid. That, that connection, that, that's interesting, because it shows a connection that some people may not realize until they really think about it. That's yeah. pretty cool. Um, in, in talking about this overall, can you help me understand or help us understand the difference between and or the connection between mediums and psychics? So all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. So psychic is getting, I always say we go from our intuition, which is getting stuff for ourselves, going into that psychic. Because I think when you're really in tune with your own intuition, then you start getting stuff for other people. You sit down next to somebody 
on a bus or something or on a train. And all of a sudden this information starts flowing about the other person. So that's the psychic part where you're kind of tapping into their energy, their aura, and getting that information. And then mediumship is connecting with a loved one on the other side. And of course, we call it evidential or mental mediumship, where we want to bring through enough evidence so that somebody knows who we're talking to. But for me, the important part of that is that you're sharing memories because memories are so personal and intimate and you're sharing the personality of the spirit or the loved one who used to be here because those are the type of evidence that nobody can look up instead of the name rank and serial number which you want to give um, you get more of that rich information and that's truly where mediumship comes in in bringing through the personality because if you just stay with name rank and serial number you know they were this age this was their birthday and here's where they died or something like that then you might actually be delivering a psychic reading just reading from their own energy yeah, I think that you know, in in the world that we live in, the metaphysical world, that um, there's a large portion of us that are it's growing, uh, uh, starting to recognize more that it does exist, and that there is a possibility of what's on the other side, for example, and the possibility of what does exist within the universe that allows us to connect in, in a in a higher level, in a higher consciousness. Um, I find it very very intriguing with regard to both mediums and to psychics i think that you know i i know that some some of the people that i've spoken with that and have these i i like to call them gifts because i think they're gifts it gives us the up you gives you the opportunity to to help somebody get closure to help somebody move forward to get a message across that they didn't get to say as i told you before we started this you know um the the conversation one more thing before you go originally was designed because we didn't always get to say what we wanted to say before we left. We didn't get to always tell somebody as they walked out the door, I love you, or I miss you, or I'm proud of you, kind of a situation. So from from the perspective of medium slash psychic, that gives us an opportunity to kind of reconnect and be able to deliver that message, correct? Absolutely. And in fact, there have been times where the last words the person spoke are what they give me. I had a reading uh, this past week and had something unusual come through and it was like part of a poem. Mm -hmm. And so I read it to my client. And the interesting part was that her um, sister who had passed did write poetry and did write in journals and stuff like that. So I think that this, I think she was trying to communicate maybe a little bit about what it was like on the other side. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure because I deliver it exactly as I get it. Sometimes too, I said, you know, this may actually be in her journal because sometimes when spirits show me a picture of themselves and especially when the person can't connect, they're like, I don't remember them wearing a red shirt or I don't remember them wearing plaid. I'm like, you might find a picture of them wearing exactly this. That's happened so many times where people then email me and go, oh my God, I found this picture. <laughs> it 
exactly how you describe them. So it's interesting. It's kind of that confirmation after the reading. That's pretty cool, actually. It, it, it's that little, uh, it's that little nudge to say, "Hey, I'm really here. I'm still here." Absolutely, yeah, and and cool. then yeah, yeah. Uh, how how do you, if I know that you're a past life regressionist, and uh, I I understand this perspective to a point. I am uh, when I was with the department, the police department. Um, I went and got trained as an investigative hypnotist. And back when I had done this, it was many moon ago. We won't say how long. <laughs> we'll just say a little ways back. It, um, it was interesting because it wasn't allowed in court. But what we were trained in doing, it were to take people back to a specific crime event or it, whether they be the victim or a witness in regard to that, then we would walk them through that to see if we could get any insight into what took place during that time period. And we sometimes would get uh, you know, a partial license plate. With a partial license plate, we were able to run through the system and take that through the system, make, make broaden the thing, then we were able to tag that partial license plate to a full license plate that matched the vehicle description, et cetera, et cetera. So within thinking that, I know that in our training, we talked with this individual that did train us. I say us because it was obviously a class full of cops. Um, from different agencies, it it they talked about past life and taking somebody back farther than that. At that time, that was not part of the class for obvious reasons. You know, we were there to learn to take somebody back to a certain point, but the same principle aligns. Uh, you know, uh, not aligns. Well, aligns is a good word. Oh, yeah, aligns good. Yeah. Yeah. So, with regard to that, um, how do how does taking somebody to a past life help them heal in this life? Can we talk, touch on that a little bit? Sure. There's one of my favorite stories that I tell about this, and this happened, this is now a long time ago, so this is probably seven or eight years ago now. I took somebody through a past life regression, and she had shared that she was um, anorexic. And, you know, she was being treated for it and stuff. And I regressed her back and she went back to the time of the Druids where the Romans were invading England, I guess where she was a Druid or maybe it was Scotland, I don't remember which. And she was the head of the Druids. And so as a male, interestingly enough, and, um, so to stop the Romans from invading and destroying, killing all the Druids, uh, she decided that there had to be a sacrifice. So they sacrificed one of the Druids and they ate their brains. And so anyway, it didn't help. The Romans actually slaughtered all the Druids. Um, as she's telling this, you know, when people are sharing their stories and stuff during the regression, for me, I'm trying to just take them to that lifetime and what they've learned and how they died and who they were around and trying to pull out that healing information. And so when she came back, you know, we both just kind of laughed. But for me, I'm like, well, you sacrifice somebody that must have been hard and then you ate their brains. Hello, that must have been really hard. And so maybe she brought the karma into this lifetime where she doesn't want to eat because she's got that 
that lifetime where she as the head of the Druids had to do this, that had to be a hard decision. And then it was unsuccessful. The Romans killed them anyway. The weirdest part about this was we like, I didn't think any, I don't know about the Druids. I mean, I know they worship trees and stuff, but I don't know a whole lot about them. She went in historically looked up the information and found that everything she shared was accurate that the Druids would have sacrificed, would have eaten brains. And yes, the Romans did try to destroy the Druids. So I, I find it really fascinating finding this historical data, which I've definitely heard um, people finding. But for her, the healing part of it is, wow, maybe in this lifetime now, being aware of what you did in a past life, you can then forgive yourself and go on and maybe do healing where you can live a normal life and not have anorexia. Oh, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Actually, that's an amazing story. I think that, you know, the we as human beings, obviously, are compassionate for the most part. There's some slide back in certain areas in the country, unfortunately, in the world. Um, but for the most part, we are compassionate, we are empathetic. And I think that sometimes when we bring something back from the past, or we carry it with us into the future. We carry positives and we carry negatives. And those negatives sometimes overtake the positives in regard to that. If somebody's trying to, to kind of manage that and think that it may be associated with, uh, let's say, a past life, how far back can, can we go in past life regression? Forever. There is no time, there is no space. I mean, think about... Space and time are 3D. You know, we can measure uh, space, we can qualify or quantify time, but that makes us very 2D, 3D. For us, we, you know, love is what gets us into the fifth dimension, getting yeah. into letting all those other dimensions go. So if we know there is no time and space, you can go back as far as you want. It's as far back as your own self will allow yourself to go. And I believe when I do past life regression with people, they go where they need to go. They're the ones finding it. I'm just the leader, like in hypnosis. It, I am using hypnosis. I'm using hypnosis and some other things trained by Dr. Brian Weiss, but using these methods to take people where they need to go. Because you know, you probably have noticed most everything that I do, I really believe we all can do these things for ourselves. I always feel like I'm just a guide in this lifetime and I'm just guiding people. I'm just pointing the finger at the moon and they're figuring out what the moon is to them type stuff. If you want to take a Zen Buddhist yeah. approach to that. Well, I mean, realistically, yeah. I mean, in, in today's society and culture, you know, especially in the United States, we're taught as children, if you have an imaginary friend that maybe you actually see and hear, but we're taught to, that's just an imaginary friend, they don't exist, and we're taught to not think about ghosts, we're taught to not think about angels, not think about anything, that you can't talk to the dead, you can't talk to somebody that's gone. We're taught as young children, in the, for the most part, I mean, obviously there's some exceptions out there that the family embraces that type of spirituality, but I think society and culture in general, especially in, in to this area in the United States, that we we are, it's kind of a taboo subject. 
and you know we don't talk about death we don't you know my grand when my when i was a kid my grand great-grandfather died and i said oh, well how'd he die well that's not important you know we're just he's going to bury him we're going to you know he's going to have a funeral yeah but i just kind of know a little bit more why'd he die how'd he die i was like yeah. i think i was nine years old or eight years old something like that and he said we don't talk about that you died you loved him we're going to bury him we're going to go to a funeral and then afterwards we're going to go to grandma's house and eat and then we're going to go home yeah, I mean, right. it was that, you know, at least from my perspective, it was that, that point blank. Same thing with having an imaginary friend. We're told that you shouldn't be a psychic. You can't be a psychic. You can't believe in mysticism. You can't believe in the metaphysical aspect of it because that doesn't exist. Science doesn't prove that it does exist or it doesn't exist. How can we, like, seek out and understand that I think we all have the innate ability within us to be a medium or a psychic or to open those doors, open that third eye. What steps can we take to kind of recognize that we be, we want to learn that a little bit more and, and come to you and, and to teach us? So first off, I don't think we're all capable of psychic and mediumship the way that I do it for strangers. I believe you can do it for yourself so you can connect with your loved ones. In fact, I just wrote a magazine article about how do you know if you're a medium and kind of give some indicators and stuff. But, you know, I look at mediumship um, kind of like I look at Yo-Yo Ma. You know, he's a famous cellist. He picked the cello. He came into this world with these natural musical abilities and then developed and nurtured them. But he was born this way. And I think certain people are born this way and they develop and nurture it. Can you develop an ability to talk with your own loved ones? Absolutely. I don't think you really need to develop too much to do that because they can come in your dreams and stuff. But I do think that, you know, I laugh because I, I believe mostly religion stops us from believing in this stuff because I personally believe religion wants control over everyone. So they want to tell you who, what, when, how, why, you know, the whole nine yards. For me, I'm like, I want you to explore everything for yourself and to realize that you have all this stuff within you. You just need to explore it. And on the with religion, too, what I find so interesting, I know in Catholicism, we say the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> like hello yeah. you're looking at the divinity of god as a ghost so i'm like i don't understand really where we don't believe in spirit because every religion does believe i think every religion believes in spirit i don't know if they believe in life after life but they definitely believe that we have an existence of our spiritual or our soul self so I don't know. I think a lot of it personally for me is just control. And I think you just have to look at yourself and realize you can heal yourself. And a lot of doctrines like the Bible say that you can heal yourself. You can heal others. It talks about that. Like you just kind of have to let go of the Maya, which is, you know, Sanskrit word for the illusions that we have here and to see through those illusions into the truth. And we let a lot of dogma get in between what we know to be true for ourselves. 
you know, for me, I was brought up in a religious household and I just didn't believe in any of it. It was just like, you know, as I always say, I love the singing. I really connected with the singing, but the dogma that they were trying to teach me, to me was just nonsense. It was just ridiculous to me. I agree with that. I, I grew up Catholic. I was Same raised here. Catholic, but Same I'm here. no longer Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the, the dogma, a good, great way of presenting that, um, you know, prevented me from being the spiritualist that I am today. I have a broader view of what exists out there and how we're all connected and the universe is connected. You know, all, all of us are connected to source. And I feel that, and, and obviously we won't go too far into this, but I feel that organized religion is there to do exactly what you said, control. Is how much control are going to have somebody. And well, I mean, I, yeah. How else are they going to get funded? Exactly. It, it's, it's a monetary aspiration for them to be able to, an opportunity for them to say, well, you are required to tie 10% to the church. And you are, okay. you know, I've had conversations on this show before. And for those of you that are, are here now and those of you that are coming into the show for the first time, you know, it is in my opinion, and from the research that I have done in regard to like numerous religions, that, you know, the Bible actually was written 50 years after Jesus died, and it was, it was carried stories, carried forward. And then it was changed by King James, and it was changed by popes, and it was changed, they, they made it fit to their needs in regard to yeah. that control. If you the Council of Nicaea, then, you know, that's where most of the Bible under, um, Constantinople or Constantine was, um, uh, you know, weeded out all of yeah. those gospels of the Bible. One thing I do want to make, you would call me a spiritualist. I wanted to just make sure that, you know, I've taught at spiritualist churches, but I'm not a spiritualist. Not a spiritualist. Okay. That's another organized religion and it's fine. And for me about organized religion, the one thing I will say, whatever gets you to the top of the mountain, and whatever makes you feel comfortable and lights your fire and makes this world comfortable for you and this experience, you should experience it. So I, I never want to talk badly about uh, religion. It does organize religion doesn't work for me, but if it's what comforts you and gets you through the night, then you know absolutely follow your path. And I agree with that statement. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. If it works for you, absolutely fantastic. I appreciate right. that. Personally, I say I'm not a practicing one. I am more spiritual. I am not a spiritualist. I am spiritual. Um, I do believe in you know. I I take a little bit from Buddha, a little bit from Zen, a little bit of a little bit of everything. As Bruce Lee used to say, take a little bit of everything that works, throw the rest away. That's how I approach that portion of. It. I believe in God. I believe in angels. I talk to my angels every day. Um, they probably get tired of me. They're probably going, "It's him again." <laughs> Who wants to take him this time? <laughs> um, but yes, it's it is. I think we we from the opportunity to connect our mind, our body, and our soul. We need to keep open the possibility of how we approach that from a spiritual perspective. Yeah, so, the other thing too I wanted to share is that science really is embracing and studying consciousness and studying, like I was just in a four-day seminar of scientists who are studying consciousness and life after life. 
And I love that science is embracing. It's not the yeah. beginning. Like they just started. They've been doing it for a long time. I think it's becoming more and more popular as more and more people of science are having their own experiences with spirit. Oh, that's very cool. I didn't know they were doing that. That's an awesome, that's amazing opportunity for, for to open so many doors, actually. Give us a little bit yeah. more foundation for where we're at and why we're here and, and where we're supposed to go. Um, how do you balance your spiritual work with your personal life? How do I balance it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's like, do you, can you, do you turn it off or is it on no. all the time? It's on all the time. Oh, that okay. is, it's one thing you can't, you just can't shut it down. Maybe some people are better at it than I, but for me, I call it second sight. And it's always there. It's always, it's always around me. And when I want to call it up, then I call it up and go fully into communicating with spirit. But for me, like I have to sleep with the light on because if I don't, my room's going to fill up and there's going to be a bunch of people while I sleep wanting to talk. I have some client spirits come in my dreams. I don't like it. And I tell them, you know, cut the nonsense. <laughs> don't do that. Let me have some of my time to myself. But no, I don't think that we can ever cut it off. When I'm standing in line, I'll be like, oh, her dad's with her. Oh, you know, but am I going to ambush reader and say, excuse me, would you let, no, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I know Teresa Caputo does that, but people have to remember she gets paid to do that. She has yeah. a show to do that. So for me, no. Teresa Caputo does it in the grocery store next to the milk aisle there. <laughs> yeah, I used to watch, I used to, used to watch her. Has a show to do that. And in fact, when I'm teaching mediumship too, even my psychic classes, I'm like, get permission. Do not ambush read people. I just don't think it's right. I think people have to want it. They have to seek it out. Yeah. I'm not here to just, you know, read everyone and do all of that. In fact, I really believe the people that need me find me. I don't need mm -hmm. to read everyone. I don't need to appeal to everyone. Most of the time when people go to my website, they're like, I went to your website and I just knew you were the one. And I love that because I know spirit helped them go there. And I know it's going to be an easy communication. Whereas, you know, and I always tell people, I'm like, look who resonates with you. And in fact, in our intuition, I'm always teaching that. Look what resonates with you. Start trusting yourself. How do you incorporate, um, uh, you, you, uh, let me try this again in English. <laughs> do you incorporate metaphysics with healing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you, can you help us understand how you apply those principles and those theories within he, healing ourselves? So I thought you're, well, when I'm in a session, like a Reiki session, when I'm working with somebody's aura, I can't help but get information for them. So for me, how I incorporate it is if they want me to share that information, because I don't want to ambush read anyone, but that they can book to incorporate both a reading and healing session. Is that what you were looking for? Uh, yes, it, it kind of a, help us understand how metaphysics, the application of metaphysics 
Again, let me try that in English. Help us understand the application of metaphysics into our healing process. I know that you use Reiki, you use mediumship. Reiki, but there's a lot of different forms of healing that I actually use, and maybe this would be helpful to you in applying metaphysics, is that a lot of times too, I can have someone work through me. So I can have a spirit or an ascended master or a spirit guide come and meld with me to help the person heal. So it's kind of mixing that whole spirit with healing because there are different channels like Reiki being a channel of healing, that there are other channels of healing that we can use. Because I do believe even in doing mediumship, when somebody comes in for a session to connect with their loved one on the other side, it's healing for them right. and it's healing for their loved one on the other side. So it's healing for spirit. I believe it's just kind of getting that closure, if there is closure, um, and getting those messages, if there is messages. Sometimes they just want to visit and they're not really cooperating and <laughs> saying something really profound. Everybody wants yeah. the really profound. I'm like, no, they're just coming through to say hi. And that's just, hello, hello, how you doing? <laughs> Ciao, como esta? Yeah. You know, it it is... Um, I think it's an opportunity for us to embrace what the possibility is of yeah. what may exist out there. And I think that we have, um, I won't say a need or a desire, but we all have a need or a desire to be able to reach out to someone that was passed or someone that we loved and want to get answers and to get closure. And, and from that perspective, okay, from, from everything we just talked about, how do you feel that spirituality or that methodology fits within our society today? Do you think that we are becoming more open to it and more um, more apt to listen and to, and to see than we have in the past? Wow, I have like a hundred things to say. Let me <laughs> like it just brought in so much, you saying that. For one thing, I find it interesting with the pandemic, how many people left, you know? So I find it, a, a lot of my teachers have left the body. So I, I think it's a time where maybe some of the older souls are leaving because their time has already been. And some of the new souls, people who maybe haven't incarnated as many times are bringing these new ideas and new ways. And I'm going to look to my Gen Zers and my millennials who drive all the baby boomers nuts and all the Gen Xers nuts because they're very different. I think they're much more spiritually inclined. You see a decline of organized religion. They don't want to go into a church and they don't want to follow some dogma. And I think they're much more spiritual creatures, which I love. And I think they're they have the world in mind with like even how they purchase things. They, they like to purchase secondhand because they don't want to pollute. And there's a lot of things that they're bringing in that I think is shifting and changing this world. So all these 
newer souls. If we look at Dolores Cannon and her three waves of who was coming in, and if we look at star seeds and crystalline children and indigos, these are the people who are here now, and they don't fit the molds of the old ways. Well, yeah, see that that to me, I love that opportunity. I love that door opening from that perspective. I think that we all need to take a breath and and open our ears and our hearts and our soul to be able to listen and hear more of that. To understand well, that's, that. I mean, that's going into that fifth dimension. You know, we want to come from the place of fear. I mean, we want to move away from it. What's the opposite of fear? It's love. Yeah. So if you can go into love, you know, if we look at Buddhism, Buddha said, when you can see yourself in everyone you meet, you know, like yeah. try to look for that. And for me, I try to see myself in everyone that I meet so that I can have love and compassion for them, regardless of what they believe in and stuff. And I know this world seems like it's going crazy. So it's kind of, you know, we've got these scarier times. But for me, I'm like, we'll tap into that love part of it rather than that fear part of it so that you're part of helping and not part of the fear part that just it's a continuation of all the nonsense yeah fear compounds upon itself like negativity compounds upon itself but alternatively positivity compounds upon itself as well so i think right. we should all strive to do it that perspective from that way um i could talk to you for another hour but we've already <laughs> we've already done that <laughs> i know that you have a multitude of opportunity on your website in regard to what people could come to you for and how you can help them. Can you um, help us understand how we can do that and what you provide? Sure. So I teach classes on intuition, psychic, and mediumship development. And I also teach Reiki certifications levels one, two, and three. Those are the main things that I do aside from doing the actual sessions too but i have a lot of opportunities if you can't come to me directly i'm in sterling virginia then i certainly do online classes too i have a lot coming up this week as a matter of fact and i've also ventured into retreats so i'm actually taking a lot of this uh, fun parts of the intuitive classes and the psychic classes and mediumship and even the Reiki classes and taking them into a retreat setting on 35 acres where we have four days together, kind of in, in isolation where we can really concentrate, but also you have downtime too, to be able to journal and we have an on-site massage person and stuff come in. And also all the meals are farm to table. It's a wonderful, wonderful way of learning things. And I have some coming up in the spring of 2024 and also the fall. And one of those, you'll have an opportunity to get a Reiki level one certification. And also if you're a yoga teacher to get some Yoga Alliance CEUs because I'm a 500 hour who teaches. So if you're looking to get Reiki certification and earn some um, uh, CEUs, it's a great way to do it. And your website, please. Is medium Annie larson.com that's medium annie with an i and an e 
Larson with an R and an O dot com. And I'll make sure that that's in the show notes so that everybody has an easy way to just click on it to get to your website. But for those of you that are not watching and you're just listening, then when you get home, follow the link. Um, hey, this has been an amazing conversation. Again, like I said, I could talk to you for another hour. You're going to have to come back. There are so many more things we can talk about. Oh, I'd love it. Anytime. So many more things. Um, this is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom for everybody? Uh, I come from a place of love. Find Those, it in your heart to see everyone, see yourself in everyone, as the Buddha said, and find that place of love. Brilliant words of wisdom. I think we should all take that to heart. Annie, again, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey and your your wisdom and your experience. Um, love it. Thank you. Thank you. For everyone else out there, please uh, make sure that you subscribe, you like, and you share. Thank you very much for coming on and joining us in this conversation. I appreciate each and every one of you. And one more thing before you all go, have a great day, have a great week, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.